We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome, Bears fans, to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, happy to be joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. We recorded this episode on Wednesday, October 19th, as the Chicago Bears are coming off a loss uh, to the Washington Commanders on Thursday Night Football, 12-7, uh, to 7, in a game that was all too familiar for Bears fans, as a lot of frustrating offense, some signs from the defense, some flashes that we've seen um, from Justin Fields, but also not enough to pull off the win here. Uh, but with that said, you say, how are you doing tonight? Um, and what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I would say, you know, I'm doing well first things first. Excited for episode 126, I believe this is. But, you know, there's a lot to digest from this game. And I think a lot of times, you know, you kind of have to look at the numbers as an entire team and you can begin to deduce really what's going on. Because when you look at the Bears in this game, right, they were 0 for 3 in the red zone. They had three trips inside the commander's 20 yard line and came up with basically zero touchdowns on the night. Now why zero passing touchdowns, I should say. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring that up because when you look at the bears losses this season, you know, the giants game, for example, a big loss that they probably should have ended up winning. The bears were 0 for three in the red zone in that game too. They were 0 for three this past Thursday night. And so you bring these examples up because I think that when the Bears are able to move the ball at a high level. They convert in the red zone. When they don't move the ball at a high level and fail to get into a rhythm early and often, they really struggle. Now, what we have to notice this is a lot of people look at Luke Getze's play calling and they're like, look, Getze's a bad play caller. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's still learning on the job. He's Matt Nagy 2.0. Well, there's two things to note. Number one, I don't think Luke is as bad as Matt Nagy because Matt Nagy just had this incredibly low standard, which if we're being fully honest, was really hard to beat. 
And then the second thing I think to keep in mind, right, is just the fact that teams know the Bears are going to run the ball. And the Bears have one of the best rushing offenses in the NFL. So when you're playing a defensive line like the Washington Commanders that have three first-round picks on the D-line in Allen, Deron Payne, and Montez Sweat, you know that you are not going to be able to run the ball because teams are just going to be conditioned to stop run first. And so naturally, why Luke Getze decided to kind of pass on the Bears' first trip to the red zone that led to the Justin Fields interception, I think is completely understandable because he knows for a fact, hey, look, they're going to key in on the run. We run the ball 80% of the time in the red zone. We need to go ahead. We need to do something different, throw something different at them, see if we can catch them off guard. Now, did it work? It didn't necessarily work, but I think that that's a good job there by Luke Getze. Okay, and quite frankly, like it is a pass-happy league. So we know what Justin Fields is as a runner. He's incredibly dangerous, but we also have to go ahead and make sure that the Bears are passing the ball because Justin has to develop as a passer. If I look at the defensive side of the ball, like it was showing where they were the better unit, but they still didn't do enough because while rookie cornerback Kyler Gordon's beginning to settle into his role, the defensive line is absolutely atrocious. I think that, you know, they still lack that major three technique that they need to find. And then the other big thing is the bears just don't necessarily have, you know, outside of Roquan Smith, a solid linebacker core. I think I can confidently say on defense, the safeties have been the best part of the bears um, on that side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, sticking with the defensive side of the ball here, I'll say that you know, the secondary, I think, has outplayed their expectations going in. Like, Eddie Jackson's rebounded. He's having a really awesome season. Brisker's been okay for a rookie. Gordon, he struggled early on this year, but he's really come on the last couple of games. He's played well. Um, and then Kim Vildor is surprised as well. He's played very well on that other corner spot. And we know that Jalen Johnson is very good. He had some moments in this game as well, but I mean, yeah, the front seven's not great. I, I think they outperformed their expectations in this one. Obviously it helps when you're playing, you know, a Carson Wentz led Washington commanders offense. Is just, that's just really bad. Absolutely giving you nothing in the passing game for them. Uh, the Bears defense did have some success getting after Carson Wentz with some blitzes early on, but I mean, you're right. The defensive talent, especially up front, isn't there like Robert, uh, Robert Quinn, uh, is non-existent this year. Justin Jones, you know, they kind of brought him as that backup. Um, I, I, won't, I won't say backup um, necessarily, but kind of like a backup plan to when the Larry Ogunjobi signing failed. You know, he hasn't really made too much of an impact. Like, Blackson's not giving you much. Al-Qadim Muhammad's not giving you much. Like, there's just – again, there's not a ton of talent on that side of the ball. But we get that. With everything considered, like Iberflus has done a pretty good job with that defense, and we knew the going in that that was going to be the case, that Iberflus was going to get the most out of that uh, unit. Uh, but I want to go back to the offense here because you kind of said, like, the Bears were able to move the ball in this game, and I think Getsy had a pretty good plan for the most part going into this one. Um, certainly there were some moments where I think his quarterback let him down with Justin Fields with – you, know, you had that one play call uh, where Ryan Griffin's wide open for a touchdown and Justin Fields just – completely overthrows them like that's I, I know a lot of people have tri been trying to excuse Justin Fields for that but at the same time like the dude's wide open by like 10 yards just put some air on on it and make sure that like Ryan Griffin can catch the goddamn ball like you don't have to like it, it was just that was a rough play there was that interception where you know Justin Fields he had a pick route called at the top um 
at the top of the play um, where they had a three wide receiver set um, on the right side of the formation. They got the look they wanted, you know, the wide receiver, I forget who it was, but the wide receiver in the flat was going to be wide open for a touchdown and said, Justin Fields goes to Cole Komet, who's isolated one-on-one, you know, could the ball, could that have been a touchdown? Had the ball not been, you know, hit hitting a helmet at the line of scrimmage, who knows, but you know, from a decision-making process, I mean, I get it. Justin Fields, it's not necessarily a bad decision that he's going to his one-on-one option there, but he had an easy touchdown there and he just didn't take it. And unfortunately, some bad luck led to an interception. So those are some of the things that, you know, you're going to look at and say, okay, well, the quarterback's clearly him down. But, you know, I, I do think that Luke gets he does deserve some blame for the red zone play calling here in this one as well, because there were some play calls that um, just weren't very good. Um, I look at on the fourth down decision where Khalil Herbert – uh, they, they just call a basic halfback dive basically um, into a stacked Washington commander's front, but that's not going to work. And I, I think this is a bigger trend that we've seen over the course of the season. The, the lack of willingness to utilize Justin Fields as a runner in these situations and these key downs on whether it's third and short, fourth and short in the red zone, goal line situations like Justin Fields, we saw it in this game. He's a legitimate weapon with his legs. He has the ability to create outside of structure and passing plays with scrambling. And he also has that ability as a design runner where he has that speed. He has that ability to make the first guy miss. Um, not necessarily the most powerful guy, but um, again, he, he's a special athlete at the quarterback position. And to not utilize that, I think, is coaching malpractice to malpractice to a degree uh, because that's something they can really tap into to put stress on defenses. And they're just not doing that right now in red zone situations. So, that's one thing I think we need to see more of from Luke Getze going forward. You know, as, as for the rest of this offensive performance, I mean, again, it, it really comes down to the red zone issues because that's what really killed them because they were moving the ball pretty well in this one. They got some big plays in the passing game early on. Um, Khalil Herbert had that big run early in the game. The run game wasn't great in this one, but Khalil Herbert really had a nice game, I thought, um, rotating in with David Montgomery there. And Justin Fields, I mean, I'll touch on him before we get to some of our other topics for this episode, but um, – you know, it was another up and down performance, taking a lot of sacks. The offensive line definitely did not help to, in, in that regard. Um, you know, Braxton Jones had a pretty rough game on the left side. Lucas Patrick was god awful at left guard. Like, we get that. But um, yeah, it was an, another uneven performance where you saw some highs from Justin Fields. Like, that, that scramble he had on the final drive was just incredible, an incredible display of his athletic ability. The deep ball he had to Dante Pettis, I believe it was, for the touchdown. Just incredible touch on that deep ball. Uh, the ability to make that throw as accurate as it was deep down the field while getting hit um, just shows the special playmaking ability that he does have. But the fact that we're still not seeing more consistency on a downtown basis is definitely a concerning thing for Justin Fields' development moving forward. That's still something that is going to be harped on, I think, quite a bit uh, moving forward here. And, you know, it's just one of those things where, again, at what point do we start to hit the panic button on this? Because I th- if last week against the Vikings was a good sign of progress, this felt like another step back in regards to, you know, Justin Fields took that step forward. In one of those things where it's two step forwards, one step back to a degree. So while it wasn't a bad performance, I think, from Justin Fields, um, definitely a lot to clean up here moving forward. You're right, and cleanup's the perfect word to use because, you know, and I posted this on the Bear Report forums. You should go subscribe to the website and check them out if you haven't. But it's like Fields' real rookie season was a complete mess. So this is his true rookie season, and right now, like, he's playing like a rookie. And he's playing like a rookie because if you look at the second half of that Vikings game, 
you could say that was kind of like the Steelers game on Monday night football during his actual rookie season. You know, you look at the 49ers game last year, in a way you could argue it was like the second half we saw from Justin Fields in the 49ers game this year, where it kind of struggled in the first half and then just turned it on. But now I think, and we mentioned this on the one of the post-game pods a couple weeks ago, that Justin has to stack these performances consistently. And unfortunately, like consistency is something he really struggles with because this is still a young quarterback who's got an incredibly aggressive mindset, who's still under the impression that he's at Ohio State sometimes and that he can just throw the deep ball and it's going to be totally okay. Now there's screenshots floating around Twitter and stuff talking about how, well, Justin did this and Justin did this and why didn't he hit this guy? I think at the end of the day, people have to understand something that he is going through his progressions, but the reality is that like this team has no weapons, right? And so when Darnell Mooney is your number one guy, which by the way, defensives have started just roll coverage over to Darnell Mooney's side to basically take Mooney out of the game. What's happening now is this, right? Is there's no one to throw to. And, you know, I hate being this guy, but in a way, like you point the finger at the GM here, right? Why? Because this is the same damn GM who drafted four guys on four offensive linemen on day three and had eight draft picks. This is the same general manager who decided that, you know, we were going to take a flyer on Dante Pettis, Equinemius St. Brown and Byron Pringle and not even try and make a move in the draft for a wide receiver. When guess what? You know, who's popping off in Pittsburgh, George Pickens in Indianapolis, Alec Pierce in Kansas city, Sky Moore. And then obviously Khalil Shakir, who's a mid round pick, you know, he's, popping off too in Buffalo. So I think, you know, what's frustrating is the fact that it's like you sit here and you do blame Justin for some stuff. You blame the coaching staff for some stuff. But then also the reality of the situation is the coaching staff hasn't made some of the, the coaching staff hasn't been the best for a first year coaching staff. You know, you're looking at Sam Mustafer, he's still starting at center for whatever reason. When Lucas Patrick's been removed from the hand and thumb injury for like how many weeks now? And then on top of it, you also really have to point the finger at the front office specifically because they didn't do enough to help Justin this year. And I think the whole notion that, yeah, well, Justin's not their guy is completely false because the reality is this, is that you went into the interviews knowing that there was a quarterback that was already in place. And quite frankly, you were probably told you need to make it work with this guy. Why? Because he may not be your guy, but he's our guy and you have to make it work with our guy. And guess what? I think that in a way, Poles kind of failed at that this offseason. Now, am I saying that Poles and Eberflus are one and done in Chicago? No, I still think that we have at least two to three more years of them. But the reality is that you're seeing kind of their offseason approach come and bite the team now in the regular season, which is completely relevant because you're hurting the QB's development and it is a QB driven league. Sports betting continues to take over the sports world and with fall right around the corner, there's going to be action from every major league sports league across the country on our own TVs. If you're like me, you're glued to the couch watching as many games as you can. Our friends at Oz Trader have got you covered with all the odds for each major sports book from around the web, all in one place just for you. 
As an added bonus, Odds Trader even compares the signup codes and promos so you get the best deal possible. When you're trying to find the best book, it's always best to have the best signup codes and promotions. Sometimes those even come with boosts, even additional money deposits. The app gives you a complete rundown on any game, including statistics, injuries, key game stats, game day weather, keeping you, the fan, as informed as possible. And sometimes if you're like us, You've got multiple bets going at once. Odd Trader will keep track of them all in one place for you. So what we want you guys to do is this. Head over to oddtrader.com slash bluewire. Once again, that's oddtrader.com slash bluewire, the number one website for all your game day bets. Yeah, I mean, it go, it all goes back to the offseason. I feel like we've harped on this like so many times in this podcast where, again, the lack of investment in offense does you know, they 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 clearly made a choice this offseason. They were going to emphasize the defensive side of the ball. They hired a defensive-minded head coach. Uh, you know, most of their big moves in the offseason, most of their investments were on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, clearly, you know, Justin Fields' timeline didn't fit this new regime's timeline of how they wanted to go about building this roster. And, you know, we're seeing the results of that, like you said. I don't want to harp on that too much because we've done that ad nauseum in this podcast, but I will say like, yeah, like we are start, starting to see the effects of that here where, you know, outside of Darnell Moody, who can Justin Fields really rely on in the passing game? There's not much, um, you know, the pass blocking is not very good. Um, you know, Braxton Jones, you're starting two fifth round picks essentially at your tackle positions, your biggest investment on the offensive line for all intents and purposes was Lucas Patrick, who has been one of the worst interior offensive linemen, uh, starting interior offensive lineman in football this year so far just has not been good whatsoever. Um, you know, it's it's a great sign that Tevin Jenkins has stepped up at right guard because if Tevin Jenkins hasn't hadn't stepped up, like I, I can't imagine how bad this offensive line would be if he wasn't, you know, playing as well as he has at right guard for you know, when the coaching staff actually lets him like actually go out there and play instead of doing this rotation BS they did uh, the first few weeks of the season. Um and then, yeah, I mean, wide receiver is what it is. You know, there's not much you can do there at this point because, I mean, a lot of people are trying to say, like, maybe the Bears should trade for guys. Like, eh, I, I wouldn't go that far. Like, I think the group is what it is. But it is disheartening that, you know, again, we saw it again this week. Gills Jones had another uh, muff punt uh, this week. It's it's disheartening that, you know, the guy they picked in the third round to be a return specialist can't even catch a goddamn kick. You know, it's just like, oh, man. Like, it's just – I don't want to spend this podcast going on, on, on a tangent about this offseason, though we get it. It wasn't the greatest offseason in the world in terms of doing what was best for Justin Fields and his development. And I, I guess the last thing I'll say on this game before we move forward with some draft talk here is that, you know, again, you just hope that throughout the course of the season that what we're seeing on the field right now doesn't end up breaking Justin Fields or that he isn't already broken because, um, you know, it's still a long season ahead. We could see a lot develop over the course of the season. Like I think there are a lot of positives on this team in terms of what we're seeing from some of these young guys, but it is tough. To, it is tough to parse through that though. When you have that negative in the back of your mind of, you know, gosh, the bears aren't really doing much for Justin Fields right now. And he isn't really showing much either at this point. So it's one of those things where you have to put it all into perspective, but hopefully they can start to figure it out over the course of the season and that's just the way it is right now. But like I said before, um, when you look at this Bears regime and what they're trying to build here um, long-term, 
I, I think when you look at bringing a defensive mind head coach and Matt Eberflus, the way they kind of approached this offseason, it points to this team um, wanting to build this team in a defensive you know, headspace moving forward here, emphasizing the defensive side of the ball at first with their team building strategy. So what we're going to be doing today is, you know, we've spent a bunch of episodes focusing on offensive playmakers. And with that said, there is an offensive playmaker we are going to discuss on this podcast. But for today, I wanted to focus on some defensive prospects that have showed out so far this season. So what we're going to be doing is each of us are going to be mentioning a couple of names here that um, have, you know, risen up draft boards so far throughout the course of the season on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and I'll start with you, you said, who is the biggest name for you as we're moving on to our, our draft talk here that has stepped up on the defensive side of the ball as a prospect to watch for this upcoming draft? Yeah, so I think, you know, everyone's going to talk about the big names. Like you got your Brian Breesey, your Miles Murphy, your Jalen Carter. You could even throw Will Anderson in there. But, you know, I'm looking at the linebackers too because I think that's such an intriguing position that's continuing to increase in value at the next level. And one of the guys that really catches my eyes are um, – I'm sorry, one of the guys that catches my eyes from this linebacker group is without a doubt Noah Sewell. And why do I say that? Simply because, you know, he's from Oregon. I think that he can, he's the younger brother of Lions offensive tackle Panay Sewell. So, you know, he's been one of the best linebackers in the nation throughout his college career. I think overall, when you look at him, he's got the first round talents and he's got incredible off the chart traits, right? The size is definitely there. I think the speed is there as well. And he's just such a fluid mover can change. I'm sorry, can change direction really quickly as well. And then I think to top it all off, the big thing is just, you have to love his physicality as well as his awareness, right? The reality of that is, you know, he's just such a really instinctive player who understands and is able to anticipate what's going to happen before it actually happens. So I think Noah Sewell is one of the names to keep an eye on that I think right now is somewhat flying under the radar. But when the spring rolls around, you're going to see fans of all 32 teams wanting Noah Sewell. Yeah, Sewell is a throwback in a sense, you know, very athletic player, guy who hits you hard. Um, certainly a linebacker to keep an eye on. We know that Iberflus is probably going to want to get a linebacker here at some point to develop because that is his specialty as a as a coach is developing the linebacker position. He's probably going to try and get a young guy here at some point. Uh, for me, I'm looking at the edge rusher position, and there's a lot of talented edge rushers in this upcoming class, I think. I think we're going to be looking at this class as one of the stronger edge rushing classes and really defensive line classes in a very long time. But one guy that has risen up draft boards to a degree so far this year has been Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. You know, Tyree Wilson, you're looking at what he's done from his statistics Statistical standpoint so far this year, um, six sacks, seven quarterback hits, uh, 24 tackles so far this season. And PFF, Pro Football Focus, uh, they have him leading the country right now with 31 quarterback pressures, at least. Um, that is what the current statistic is right now. It might change by the end of this weekend. Uh, but currently leading the college football in, in pressures, which is a big statistic, and that's a much more indicative sign of what he's doing as a pass rusher. I uh, look at Wilson as a prospect. Like this guy is six foot six. He's 275 pounds. So this guy is a big, long, freaky dude um, who doesn't always know what he's doing. And, you know, te- Texas Tech, they kind of used him as kind of a four eye type of player um, last year um, where, you know, he was kind of, you know, used as kind of like an interior defensive lineman and he played a little bit of inside, a little bit of outside. Um, and I don't think that was necessarily the best fit for him. 
this year he kind of it, it seemed like he lightened up a little bit. He's still a, a huge uh, player off the edge. But, I mean, you can see it when he plays. He's incredibly raw, but there are a ton of physical traits to like about his game. Uh, his ability to convert speed to power off the edge, his bull rush, his long arm, um, really impressive what he's able to do to push pockets and get after the quarterback. It, it, from that standpoint, um, he does have some pretty good athleticism in his straight line. Um, he is somebody to watch for an edge rusher class. That, again, you have Will Anderson, who's kind of uh, your no doubt is going to be your number one. Uh, pass rusher off the edge in this draft class. Miles Murphy certainly is a guy to, to watch um, as well. But I mean, keep an eye on Tyree Wilson because if he can continue to, to play like he has to start this year, uh, it's very possible that he could be in that top 10 conversation as well because he does have the physical tools that you like. Um, he reminds me a lot of, gosh, who was the Saints edge rusher that um, came out of the draft a few years ago that, Names Marcus Davenport. Davenport. He reminds me a lot of Marcus Davenport coming out of college. Kind of that, you know, high cut, big, tall, um, athletic edge rusher who, you know, they're again not the most nuanced rusher. He's just looking to bowl over people um, when getting after quarterback. But that ability to convert speed to power is incredibly valuable. I think that's the most translate translatable way for a pass rusher to to uh, convert to to the college level, to the, to the NFL level, because, you know, guys that relies purely on speed, you know, they, they need to be able to have that power element in order to be effective at the next level. Well, if he can continue to show that he has that, all he has to do moving forward is to prove that he has additional moves to add to his tool belt there. And the sky could be the limit for Tyree Wilson because that athletic potential is definitely intriguing. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because you mentioned two keywords here, right? Athletic potential. I think based off the RAS scores from the Bears 2022 draft class, like having freakishly high athletic scores and just being a phenomenal athlete is what this regime really tends to value in terms of what the Bears are looking to bring in. Now, my second guy is a player from LSU. His older brother, Aziz Ojolari, actually plays for the New York Giants, also a mid-round draft pick. And, you know, it's like I mentioned earlier. We're going to discuss heavily the Brian Reese's, the Miles Murphy's, the Will Anderson's, the Henry Toto's. So, you know, I want to kind of give a quick overview of an edge rusher that is somewhat known, but not necessarily well-known. That's LSU's BJ Ojolari. You look at him, you know, I think he's having a really solid season overall. He's a prototypical fit for a 4-3 defense as a defensive end. I think he's got a really good explosive first step. And then on top of that, he really uses his overall strength to go ahead and just gain leverage against some of these offensive linemen. Now, the other big thing to understand is that Ojolari is the type of player where is he, you know, a freakish athlete? Not necessarily, but one thing he's got is this incredibly high motor that just keeps on churning. I think that that, right, kind of fits in with what the Bears are trying to build on defense with, you know, the hits principle and always having these intense physical practices. Now, the only concern I've really got, I think, about Ojolari comes down to the fact that can he be a more effective defender in the running game? Like, we've seen what he can do as a pass rusher but as a run defender can he step up and can he avoid getting mauled by a lot of these bigger offensive linemen especially when it comes to the guards and the tackles that decide to pull on some of these outside zone concepts I think that if Ojolari can figure that out he's got a chance to quickly develop into an NFL starter 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the question for a lot of these pass rushers who are, you know, developing from college football, from college to NFL level, who are kind of undersized, is can they take on the physicality and the size difference for um, NFL offensive linemen? And that, you know, a lot of times that isn't really the case. So that's going to be the thing with Ajilari is, you know, can he beef up and um, put on some weight and, and be able to handle that? Um, but I'm looking to the secondary here for my next prospect. And, you know, cornerback isn't necessarily a need for the Bears right now based off of the way that Jalen Johnson has played, how you know, they just invested a lot in Keller Gordon, who's shown some some uh, promise over the past few weeks. And Kendall Vildor has played well enough to where I don't think it's an immediate need on that other cornerback cornerback spot but you could never have too many quality corners i think um especially because again you're gonna have to pay a corner coming up whether it's jill and johnson i don't think you'd probably pay kim vildor in a second contract in fact i wouldn't i'd let him probably leave free agency at this point um but you know to be able to fill out that secondary um i'm looking for a guy to be able to start on the outside of that on that opposite corner spot because of, away from Jalen johnson because it seems like Kyle gordon is going to be the slot guy moving forward um, and you know, I, I like being able to keep guys in specific roles and not moving them around too much. So if you're looking for a pure outside corner, um, another player that I'm looking at here is Joey Porter Jr. Who does have that versatility to play inside or outside. Um, he's shown that at Penn state, but Joey Porter Jr. We're looking at him. Um, interesting facts, you know, as the name may suggest, he is the son of former NFL outside linebacker, Joey Porter. Uh, who many may remember as a key part of those Pittsburgh Steelers defenses uh, in the early to mid to 2000s. Bill Cowher got his Super Bowl in, I believe it was 2005. Joey Porter was the top pass rusher on that Pittsburgh Steelers unit. So kind of cool to see a guy that Joey Porter, a player that I kind of growing up saw the tail end of his career to see his son, um, you know, as a draft prospect here. So that's pretty cool from that standpoint. Uh, But Porter Jr. is a really good player in his own right. Um, he's a physically, he, he just stands out, you know, above six feet tall, 200 pounds. Um, and of course, being a Penn State player has incredible athletic traits, very fluid, uh, very good athlete as a whole. And what I like about him is that he is just a very, um, very smart football player, clearly has, you know, those instincts that you want from a you know, a player at that, at that position. And clearly the bloodlines, um, you know, following in his dad's footsteps, it, it, it does translate, I think, to the way he plays. Um, and of course, you know, 
he's going to, when eventually these Penn State players do get to their pro day and they start testing through their athletic testing, he's going to blow out of the water because that's what these Penn State players do. They're one of the best schools in the country at developing these athletes. But um, so far this year, he's been a lockdown corner for them on the outside. Um, basically, it's been like basically shutting down one half, one third of the field for this Penn State defense right now. Um, according to the PFF, the way that what it's looking like right now, um, over his last three games, only allowing one catch on six targets with three broken up passes. So um, he's somebody that has really started to play his best ball um, as the weeks have gone on here. So that is a huge positive for him moving forward. And he's a guy that I'm looking at in the first round. I'm not sure if I take him high because the Bears are probably going to be picking high, let's be honest here. But if the Bears were to trade down a little bit into the middle of the first round, I mean, Joey Porter Jr. is definitely a name, I think, to watch for Bears fans if you know they want to continue to get that secondary to make it a dominant unit moving forward. Yeah, and speaking of that Bears secondary, I mean, it's surprisingly one of the few units in the NFL in terms of pass defense that has certainly allowed, you know, it's been pretty solid against the um, past this season, which again, just kind of goes back to having two solid players, solid and emerging players in Gordon and Brisker. Now, my whole thing is this, it's like, you could take a cornerback, you know, but also, you've got, you know, Kyler Gordon and Jalen Johnson on the roster. Um, I think that Johnson is a lock to come back for a second extension. But what I think needs to happen is that with a player like Kendall Vildor, you know, you go ahead and you're basically starting him because he's your best option at this point. If there's a chance to upgrade, I think you do go ahead and upgrade. But, you know, considering the current needs and state of the team, I don't think that the Bears would invest, you know, a first or a second round pick in a corner in the upcoming year, it might be something to kind of consider for like the third or fourth round. If they can, you know, find a hidden gem somewhere in there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, you look, you look at the state of this defense, like this is not a unit. I think the Bears should be investing too much in. So I agree that, you know, waiting a little bit to invest in these guys would probably be the smart move moving forward. But I will say that Iberflus is probably looking to put his his stamp on this defense, and there are a lot of talented players in this class where he's going to be able to do that if he wants to. So, um, you know, those are some names to keep an eye out for Bears fans out there. Um, again, a lot could change throughout the course of this season, but so far, um, those are some defensive players that Bears fans should be looking forward to uh, in the draft process once we start to really get there. But uh, to end our draft talk here before we move on. Uh, we're going to go to the offensive side of the ball to talk about one prospect on offense that has really stood out over the last two weeks. And that's Quinton Johnson out of TCU wide receiver, uh, a player that has really gone off the last few weeks and has definitely gotten a lot of people's attention as far as what his potential could be at the next level. Look at Johnson's last two weeks in particular uh, against Kansas two weeks ago, 14 receptions for 206 yards and a touchdown. And then last week against Oklahoma State, eight receptions, 180 yards, uh, and a touchdown there. So just ridiculous performance here from a guy who started off the year pretty slowly. But I go back and I watch Johnson play, man. And um, if the Bears are looking to get a wide receiver in this upcoming draft, Johnson has put his name in, in, in the ring, so to speak, of a guy that the Bears should be heavily interest, interested in in the first round. 
You're right. I mean, the Bears should really look at him. Now, there's a couple things to understand about Quentin Johnston is that, number one, not only are you getting this kind of big body target that is going to come in and is going to be impactful in the red zone, you're getting, I think, what is a pretty complete player, right? Because he's got the size. We know he's got the athleticism. We know that he's able to kind of operate in space once he kind of shakes defenders off him. Now, I think we're Johnston's biggest strengths come are in the short as well as the intermediate passing game. He's really good in terms of some of those slants, those drags, those kind of, you know, um, shallow post routes. I think he does a really solid job when it comes to all of those. And so naturally, kind of what happens is this, right, is that his solid footwork just allows him to keep going and make those quick breaks. But I think that one thing to understand about Johnson is that, you know, there are times where you look at his route running ability and you're like, okay, well, you know, he could have had a faster release there on the top of the route, or he could have run that just a bit more crisp or his footwork was just a bit too choppy. So I think that he's a player, right. That is really solid and well-rounded, but just has one or two things to kind of work on before he becomes, you know, a complete player for a team like Chicago. Why do you need Quentin Johnston? Well, you need Quentin Johnston simply because you have Darnell Mooney who, going in next year is going to be in the fourth year of his contract but then ultimately you know can you get that big bodied receiver that is going to be a factor on every single down that defensive coordinators are going to have to account for and can you just get some size on this offense to give players and Justin Fields a chance for those you know 50 50 or those 60 40 or those like you know 70 30 balls at all can you do that or are you just going to kind of hope that things work out yeah, I mean, this offense, I mean, when you look at it, it needs it. You need a number one wide receiver here. And I don't know if I'm ready to say that Quentin Johnson is a bona fide guy to be a number one wide receiver right away. But you look at the traits that he does have as a player. I mean, he's six foot four and, you know, pretty well built above 200, above 200 pounds, I believe, um, for at that size. But he doesn't move like a guy who's six foot four. Like when you think of a six four receiver, you think of a kind of slower um, not necessarily plotting, but you know, not necessarily a quick or explosive playmaker. More of a guy who's going to be big and physical and get a lot of contested catches. Um, you know, think like Drake London last year in the draft. You know, not the most explosive player in the world, but a guy who had pretty good foot quickness for his size. Um, but where he made most of his you know money was you know making those contested catches, um, just being a physical presence in the middle of the field for his quarterbacks there. Well, when you look at Quentin Johnson, that's not necessarily his game. I mean, he does have that size profile where he does project um, to being able to make those tough, difficult catches in traffic to be a contested catch guy. But he is an incredibly quick, explosive player for a guy at that size. And that's what's really the most exciting thing for him is that if he can put it all together as a route runner here, um, the sky's the limit for what he could accomplish at the next level because I think – you know, he does have that ability to be that X wide receiver on the outside because of that size, but he also has the versatility to where you can use him on screens, on end arounds, get the ball in his hands because his ability to make plays after the catch is impressive as well. So he has a ton of physical ability to work with here. And what I like about him is that when he catches the ball, he's always looking to get those extra yards after the catch. He's really, really good after the catch from what I've seen so far of him play. Um, 
And when you look at this offense, what it's really based around, I mean, yeah, they want to get those big shots down the field for Justin Fields, but this offense is reliant on it. And really the entire Shanahan tree is reliant on getting guys that can get yards after the catch and make the most out of those opportunities when they get the ball in space. And Quentin Johnson, he's really good at getting yards after the catch and maximizing uh, those yardage opportunities. So he's a guy that I, I think is going to be really exciting to look at. Really, I mean, there's a lot of first-round receivers right now that – have looked pretty impressive so far uh, throughout the course of this young football season. So um, some names to keep out there for uh, Bears fans as we look at the draft here. Um, and, yeah, I mean, just those those are some of the big names, I think, moving forward. We continue to add on to these names throughout the course of this year. But, um, yeah, it's all building up, I think, to when the season starts to come to a close later on that we start to get into draft talk. And I think – um, these are just a preview, just an appetizer of what's to come for uh, when we get to the draft um, draft season um, in late winter, early spring, and it really starts to build off of it from there. So, with that said, let's move on to our next topic of today's podcast. You know, we could, I guess, preview the Pats uh, Bears game coming up, but before we do that, uh, let's do a topic that uh, I think is a little bit overdue here. Let's talk about you know some of the rookie head coaches and what they've done so far this season because the Bears, they have a rookie head coach and look at Matt Eberflus and, you know, the results have been somewhat mixed so far. Again, you want, you don't want to put too much stock into it in the, into the first year of a rebuild, but there are a lot of other rookie head coaches around the league who, you know, some have done well, some have not done well. So, you know, I, I think let's look at the negatives first. You said who is your one uh, rookie head coach that you're down on so far uh, this season? Well, I think the most obvious answer is going to be Nathaniel Hackett, right? You go out and you trade for Russell Wilson. You cough up multiple first-round picks. You are basically tied at the hip with the general manager, George Payton. And, you know, it, it's been, to say the season in Denver has been disappointing, I think at this point right now is a complete understatement. Because if we're going to be really honest with ourselves, right, we have to understand that that Denver offense – we said, my God, they've got Melvin Gordon. They've got Javante Williams. They have Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, and Cortland Sutton. They've got a pretty solid tight end group too. The only thing that they're missing, and a really good offensive line, by the way, um, the only thing that they're missing is that quarterback. And then you go out and you get the QB and, you know, two things. Nathaniel Hackett hasn't lived up to expectations this year as a play caller and as a head coach, as well as Russell Wilson has not lived up to the Russell Wilson of old. And so all this, I think, has kind of created this like controversy that exists. But it's very clear to me that like Nathaniel Hackett's been about as disappointing as it gets. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, has there been a bigger disaster this year for a first-year head coach than Nathaniel Hackett in, in Denver? Like, like everything that could have gone wrong for this Denver Broncos team has gone wrong. Like, you look at even when it started week one, the decision by Hackett um, to kick the field goal instead of letting Russell Wilson go out go out that last drive and um, go out there and actually try to win the game. They sell for like a sixty-something yard field goal when they had plenty of time to get in better uh, in a better range for uh, their field goal kicker. Just right away you're looking at a bad impression right there and then this offense just not being able to get on track whatsoever I mean some of that is on Russell Wilson who has played really bad especially for his standards so far this year but a lot of that is also on Hackett you look at this offense um, again Hackett was a guy that I liked in, in the in the in the offseason as a Bears candidate to be the head coach for the Bears you know I, I believed in you know that system uh, coming over from Green Bay uh, being able to work um and so far, it has not uh, for the Denver Broncos. And again, talent is not the issue when you look at the skill position group because uh, you still got some guys like Jerry Judy um, has shown some things this year. I think um, he, he's a talented player. You got KJ Hamler there. You got Cortland Sutton, Sutton there. Um, you got some tight ends that are pretty good. Like Greg Dolchers looked pretty good in uh, the Monday night game, I believe it was. But yeah, man, I mean, the, the offensive line's been pretty solid for them, but like, it's been rough watching that Broncos offense uh, work. And yeah, Hackett has not been, not been very good so far. And you're looking at a potential situation where Russell Wilson, he's hurt right now. If he continues to struggle or if he's out for an extended period of time, um, it, it would not surprise me one bit if Hackett is a one and done um, after this year, but we got the negative out of the way, so I think that's pretty much the obvious one here. But it gets a little bit interesting when we get to the positives in terms of who has been the best rookie head coach so far. There are a couple candidates in mind. You know, you say who's the one guy for you that's kind of stood out in that regard. I mean, for me, it's Brian Dable. And let me just first things first say I was completely wrong about Dable as a head coach. And I say that because while I did advocate for Brian Dable throughout the hiring process, because I felt like Dable was the player that the Bears kind of needed to run the right offense for Justin Fields, because Dable oversaw Josh Allen's development. I think that all of this comes down to the fact that he's come into New York. They are off to a five and one start. They've only lost to the Dallas Cowboys. They pretty much shut out the Packers in the second half of week five. They had a comeback one against the Ravens. And then on top of it, you add this in. He's getting the best out of Daniel Jones, a player that's probably not going to be a starter in 2023 with the team. And so that right there just kind of shows that, you know what? Brian Dable has proven time and time again that he's about as good as it gets for a first-year head coach. Now, do I think the Giants are going to be outcoached in the playoffs and the rest of the regular season because of their schedule? Yeah, but credit to Dable for getting off to as fast of a start as he did. Yeah, yeah. Brian Dable has been fantastic in New York. I mean, what he's doing considering the talent um, on that roster – 
is really impressive. They had that five and one. And again, a lot of that has been they've won in a lot of fluky circumstances and um, against some bad teams like the Bears being one of them. But, you know, he has that offense right now. I believe that, that the Giants offense is like 10th or 12th, somewhere in that range for EPA per play right now. And when you look at the circumstances for that being the case where Daniel Jones is your quarterback, the Giants declined to pick up his fifth-year option because we know that Daniel Jones isn't the guy. So Daniel Jones is your quarterback. That offensive line, outside of Andrew Thomas, who's been an elite player at the left tackle spot, they have one of the worst offensive lines in football. Um, Evan Neal has not looked good. Rookie first-round pick at right tackle just has really struggled. That interior isn't very good. So you're looking at that as you know being a detriment to that offense. I mean, that Cowboys game was just an example of that where they got their butts kicked um, up front in that game. And then their wide receiver core, you know, on paper, I, you know, you go into the year and think that it looked pretty solid, but, you know, Kenny Galladay has continued to look awful uh, with that contract being one of the worst in the NFL at the moment. Um, you know, they've gotten nothing out of uh, Kadarius Tony, their first round pick last year. Um, you know, and then outside of that, I mean, uh, what's his name? Sterling Sharp goes down for uh, the season with an ACL injury. Um, and outside of that, like, there's not a ton of talent. You still have Darius Slayton there, but, you know, again, there's not a ton, ton of talent to work with here for the weapons in New York, but they just continue to find ways uh, to put points on the board and to move the ball and to get explosive plays. Like, they're use, utilizing Saquon Barkley a lot in a lot of creative ways, getting him the ball in space, and he's been awesome this year. So, um, yeah, Brian Dale's been awesome this year. He's done a fantastic job. He's got that uh, team playing hard. Um, that defense is playing really well with uh, Week Martindale. So uh, hats off to Brian Dable. He's looked very good. I mean, the Giants are clearly a fraudulent 5 for one team. I, I had to make that clear. but And, and it is going to start to catch up to them over the course of the season. But uh, so far, Brian Dable looks like that dude, uh, that head coach for them. Um, I'll, I'll put throw one name out there before we get to our game preview here for uh, Bears-Patriots. But I'll say that Mike McDaniel for the Miami Dolphins has done – a fantastic job as well. Considering the, the circumstances, like before the Tua concussion whole fiasco, you know, the way that he had Tua playing with that with that offense and those playmakers and you know, that offensive line being the way it is, like uh, McDaniel has – McDonald or McDaniel uh, has really impressed me so far um, for the Miami Dolphins. So uh, that's another name I'll throw out there as well. So two guys that the Bears could have had, but, you know, it is what it is at this point. But – uh, moving out here, let's preview this upcoming Bears-Patriots game. Um, another primetime outing for this Bears team as they get an extra long week to prepare for the Patriots. But if you've been paying attention to Bill Belichick's uh, press conferences, you know the thing with Bill Belichick is anytime he goes overboard to praise a team, that pretty much means that he doesn't think crap of that team and that he's licking his chops to absolutely get, this, get after them. And that's what he did for the, for the Bears in his press conference where he gave them a lot of praise – but, again, knowing Bill Belichick, that is probably not the greatest sign for the Bears moving forward into this one. So this is an interest, interesting matchup, though, because the Bears going here on Monday night. You know, I'm not sure if Mac Jones is going to be playing or not, but if Mac Jones does play, you know, a matchup between Justin Fields and Mac Jones, two first-round quarterbacks from that 2021 class. So that would be the main storyline here. Um, but there are also a lot to look out, a lot of things to look out for in this game. Uh, you say, what are some of the things you're looking out for um, one of the, some, some of the main storylines that you're keeping watch of for this one. Yeah, well, I think the first thing you're going to have to keep watch of is 
what are the Bears going to do in the context of adjustments, right? Are you moving Sam Mustafer out of the starting lineup entirely? Are you putting Lucas Patrick at center? Are you bumping Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum to left guard and right guard? What are you doing at right tackle? Are you putting um, Riley Reef out there? So that's the first thing to look at. The second thing I think to look at is this, is how exactly, because Belichick in his press conference on Wednesday acknowledged that Justin Fields is incredibly tough to defend when he's on the run. And so what are the Bears going to do to go ahead and to ensure that Justin Fields is allowed to keep running? Are they going to dial up boots? Are they going to have some play action? Are they going to get him out of the pocket? I think that, you know, you've had 10 weeks. I'm sorry. You've had 10 days now to kind of prepare for this. So it's. Sh- I want to say it's going to be a smooth game, but we know it's the Patriots, so the Bears are probably going to end up losing in this one. Yeah, I think for I, I think that's a big one is how are the Bears going to be able to handle like Bill Belichick defense, who typically does very well against young quarterbacks, especially you know considering that Justin Fields and some of the things that he struggles with, like Bill Belichick, you know, it's not a great matchup from that standpoint. So what are the Bears going to do to kind of counteract that? But I'd say for me, the main storyline is, you know, the Patriots quarterback situation. Like, who's going to play there? Mac Jones, is he healthy enough to play? Or are we going to get Bailey Zappi, who uh, – Bailey Zappi, fourth-round rookie this year, um, got his first playing uh, playing time against the Green Bay Packers in relief Brian Hoyer. Um, you know, Patriots ended up losing that game. But over the past two weeks, the Patriots have won um, against the Lions and against the Browns in pretty convincing fashion. Like they dominated over these past two weeks. A lot of that has been the defense, but uh, Bailey Zappi was pretty, pretty dang good um, in this last game against the Brown- against a Browns defense that, again, hasn't been great to start this year. But, you know, Zappi went over 300 yards in that game, um, had a couple of nice nice plays. You know, he's, he's kind of fit that classic mold of what the Patriots look for and their quarterbacks like. Again, not the most physically talented. He's not going to do a ton outside of structure, but he just has that ability to play within structure, play on time, get the ball to his playmakers, you know, process the defense and just make the right decision on every any given play. And that's what he's done for this Patriots offense. So it's one of those things where I look at it and Mac Jones is clearly the better quarterback of the two, but I honestly don't think it's that much of a um, negative for the Patriots if, if Bailey Zappi does end up playing for them. So uh, that's that's how well he has played so far. So I think that's going to be an intriguing thing to watch is who's going to be starting at quarter for the Patriots and what is Matt Eberflus going to do to kind of counteract that there. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to in this one. Um, so let's get to predicting this thing and getting our X factor for this game. Uh, you said, who do you think wins this one? What do you think the score is going to be and who's going to be your X factor for this one? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say the Patriots beat the Bears on Monday Night Football on prime time in front of a national audience, 27-14. I think that my X factor in this game is going to go ahead and be Darnell Mooney. Hey, can he stack strong performance after strong performance on top of each other? And can him and Justin Fields get on the same page to get this offense going? Yeah, for me, I think the Patriots win this one as well. Like, you're going in the Foxborough um, primetime stage. And like I said, Bill Belichick is usually lights out against young quarterbacks like Justin Fields, and um, especially ones that have been as inconsistent as Justin Fields is. Um, and that's one reason why I think just, you know, the way that this Bears offense has operated so far this year, I'm just not sure it's going to be a fair fight. Uh, I have the Patriots winning 24-6. to six. Uh, I think this Bears offense is going to struggle in this one. I don't think the passing offense is going to do much in this game because 
I think Bill Belichick, he's going to, you know, he's got extra time to prepare for this one. He's going to have a lot of blitz packages and a lot of simulated pressures and a lot of disguised looks to really confuse Justin Fields. And that is what he has struggled with uh, so far this year. And if the Patriots can contain Justin Fields as a runner, um, it's going to be a long day for him as a passer. So uh, my X factor is going to be Justin Fields for this one because I think a lot of this is going to cont- uh, contingent on his performance as a player. Um, can he step up to the challenge? Can he um, counteract what Bill Belichick is going to bring at him um, from a schematic sc- standpoint? Um, can he process what Bill Belichick is doing from a defensive standpoint and make the right decisions, make the right reads, get the ball out on time, accurate to his playmakers? That's going to be the key focus for, for me in this one for him. And if Justin Fields can do that and he can make some plays with his feet as well, some explosive plays with his feet, um, you know, the Bears have a chance to win because I don't think the Patriots are going to be necessarily great on offense. They're just going to do just enough to get to win here. Uh, but if Justin Fields, you know, resorts to his worst tendencies, this could be a very long game because Bill Belichick is ruthless when it comes to exploiting uh, the weaknesses of these young quarterbacks. And if Justin Fields is not prepared for that, um, he could struggle quite a bit. So uh, Patriots going to win this one for both of us here. Um, and with that, that's going to wrap it up for us here at the Picks for Polls podcast. Uh, make sure to like, rate, and subscribe to us at all podcasting platforms for uh, Blue Wire Pods. Uh, make sure to follow us on social media as well, on Twitter, at Picks for Polls, for all of our listeners out there. You say, where can our listeners follow you on social media and find your work? Yeah, guys, so you can follow me on social media at Usaid Koshal. That's my Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and um, Instagram. And then you can go ahead and check out my work on the bear report. You know, I'm going to have a lot more content coming up here as we kind of wrap up October and get into the month of November. So definitely keep an eye out for it all. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to give you stated follow and check out his work at the bear report. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25. Uh, you can find more work on the bear report as well. Make sure to check out my tracking the trenches series, which I have a lot of fun doing every single year. And, of course, all of our Bears fans out there, it's going to be a little bit of a long weekend as the Bears aren't playing on Sunday. Uh, There's going to be a ton of anticipation for that Monday night football game. But until then, Bears fans, uh, and until next time, uh, have a safe weekend and bear down. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.